0: Hey, and welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. We are a church that is for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We are passionate about helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. So if you're just joining us for the first time, we would love for you to check out our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. There you can find ways to connect with us and see what's happening at Crosspoint. Now, let's listen to this week's Sunday message.
1: Good to have you here. Thank you Delaney for uh, directing us into the important uh, ministry of uh, preparing hearts, uh, children's hearts. Talking about kids, uh, those of you uh, elementary kids here that maybe have a hard time following adult speak, there are some boxes at the back for you uh, so you're welcome to slip back there and grab them and uh, that'll help you uh, stay focused during this time. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for this morning, and as we delve into your word, I pray that you would, by your spirit, guide and direct the conversation in such a way that uh, we would all come away uh, renewed and strengthened with purpose and intention to serve you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's a couple things that have sort of been sitting around as we uh, do this series on the seven signs of John's gospel and the I Am Statements. Of John's Gospel. Way back at the beginning Micah talked about the fact that it is really about getting to know God, intimacy with Jesus. And so that's one of the things that the talk we're going to have this morning on, uh, from John chapter 9 is going to look at that. The second thing that came up was something that Brendan talked about. I mentioned it last week and it was highlighted for me again this week and that was the fact that we grow in the direction of the questions we ask. I'm gonna bend that a little bit because it's not just we grow in the direction of the questions we ask, but we sometimes grow in the direction of the questions that we are asked. They shape us. They shape the way we think. And so there's two elements. And then the third one came up at the end of uh, last Sunday when we talked about the fact that belief really results in obedience. You can say that you believe something, but until you act upon it, until you, your behavior changes, nothing happens. I can remember back in the day, I'm young enough to remember a time when we drove around in cars that had no seatbelts. There's a whole bunch of you that don't remember that. But those of us who do remember when seat belts first started to be installed and there was a few people that wore them. My dad bought a car with seatbelts in it. He never used it. It was just a lap belt. But today, most of us, not all of us, because I'm sure there's still some people out there that sort of push back against the seat belt, but most of us now believe that a seat belt saves us, protects us, and so we actually wear it. We actually put it on. You see, our belief results in action. What we believe changes our behavior. And when it comes to our faith, the same is true. If you get to know Jesus, you understand his heart and his desires, and as you believe in that and as you embrace that, it starts to change the way you behave. I grew up in a strict home. Uh, Christian faith, good teaching. There was a great group of people around me that believed and taught And I can remember struggling with some aspects of the faith in terms of how do I follow through on these actions, in these ways. And as I grew and studied the Word of God and so on, there were things that I hadn't been taught. There was a focus in specific areas in the Bible teaching, but there are areas that were missed. And I can remember as I was growing and I was reading the Bible, I started to go, well, the Bible says this, but it's not happening in my life. And I started to pursue those things, and as I came to understand them, and then as I embraced them, as I said, yes, this is what the Bible teaches, I started to step out and do those things. And so, this morning we're looking at John chapter 9. It's the story of the story of Jesus healing a man born blind. And it starts off with the sign. The first couple of verses is the sign. And in this sign, is, they're walking through this town, the disciples are with them, and they see this guy over here, and they say to him, Jesus, this man, he was born blind. Did his parents sin, or did he sin? The question was based upon a very simple thing. You see, the Jewish people, in their trying to understand Scripture, understood that sin impacted people's lives. And in these situations, like a child born blind, they had to come to understand, well, if sin was the cause of it, where did the sin start? And so they had a convoluted idea that there was maybe uh, the parents sin, or maybe that this child had been uh, in another life, and in that life had sinned and the consequence. You see, there was a growth and an understanding, or they were trying to understand this circumstance. So the question was asked, this man born blind did he sin or his parents Jesus made a very clear statement this man his parents did not sin this happened so that God's power God's purposes God's work could be revealed in him and then it says that Jesus spit on the ground made some mud spirited over his face and told him to go wash now <clears throat> why why did you spit on the ground Well, maybe Jesus just did it so that the guy had to go and wash because his face was dirty. But there's also a belief in the culture at that time that if there was a leader, someone that was worthy of following, that there was something inherently special about anything related to that person. And spit being one of them, they took, and they believed that there was some virtue in that. And Mixing it with the mud and smearing it on was an indicator that the person was doing something special for them. In other words, Jesus sort of, I think, embraced a cultural belief to make the person comfortable with what was happening and gave him clear directions, go and wash your face at the Pool of Siloam. So the guy goes, he washes his face, and it says that after he washed, he came back seeing. The sign is very clear. And in this context... Let me just see if I can read that up there. Yeah, it is there, but it's a little too far away for me. In this context, Jesus said, uh, when he was talking about it, he says, it was not because of the sin of his parents or his sin. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned uh, by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Do you remember last week? The conversation was around this very statement, wasn't it? I am the light of the world. When I continue in this world, I am the light of the world. And Jesus was clearly linking this miracle, this sign, to that teaching, that he was the light of the world. And it applies to us today simply because if Jesus is alive and well in our lives, and we're following him, and we're being obedient to him, then he is still alive and well in this world. We become the means by which the light of the world is expressed in this world. So the guy returns from seeing, and so then he encounters his neighbors. His neighbors see this guy walking down the street, and I can imagine, gotta remember, this guy was a man born blind. How would you respond if you had never seen the world before? right? He's walking along. He's going, wow, look at that. Oh, oh, look. I wondered what that noise was. Now I can see what it was. Oh, I had always touched that tree, but I didn't know what it was, what it looked like. The wonder that would have been a part of his life, and it would have been evident to the people around him that there was something unusual about this guy. And as they look at him, they go, I recognize him. He looks familiar to me. Have you ever had an experience where you saw somebody out of context and tried to remember who they were. I had an uncle, bit of a character. He was my aunt's husband, so an uncle-in-law I guess. He lived down in southern Alberta near Brooks. We were living in Edmonton and one day my mom goes to the front door, opens the door, and sees this guy standing there. She says, I know him, but she couldn't remember who he was and my Uncle Henry was a character, so he just smiled and waited, and it became really awkward. And he finally says, Katie, you don't know who I am. And as soon as he spoke, she knew who Henry was. Well, there's a couple of reasons. He was distinctive in character. He also stuttered, and that, those combinations, and Mom felt so embarrassed that she didn't recognize him. And I think the neighbors, saw this guy and wondered, is it really him? No, it's got to be someone that looks like him. And there was this conversation back and forth amongst the neighbors. And so some of them said, he was. And others said, no, he just looks like him. And the beggar, or the blind man, the former blind man, said, no, it's me. It's really me. So they asked him, who healed you? How did you get healed? And he goes, well, there was this man named Jesus. He smeared mud on my face, told me to go walk, wash at the pool of Siloam. And so I went there, and I washed, and I can see. So they asked him, where is he? Guy says, I don't know. So then they took him to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, of course, there were the religious leaders. And there was a tradition in uh, Jewish law that when you were healed in some way, that one of the places you would go to verify the healing, particularly with leprosy, but in this case with blind, the Pharisees were the ones that were to review those situations. And so they brought this man to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees asked the question. Uh, They took the man who was blind to the Pharisees, and because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him, the Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, He put mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Now, the Pharisees had a bit of an issue because, as it says, it happened on the Sabbath. And Brenda and I, in our conversation around this, you know, we said, you know, I think Jesus liked to stir the pot a little bit. Because most of the miracles over the last little bit, as we read in Scripture, many of the miracles happened on the Sabbath. In some ways, he was confronting the culture. He was confronting the religious order of the day. Because you see, the Pharisees saw in Jesus making mud an act of work. And you know, they weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. And healing was not supposed to actually happen on the Sabbath either. These were the times where they were to be focused on God and not acting on behalf of one another. Oh, there was emergencies that they would allow, but for the most part, they were not allowed to work on the Sabbath. So some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he works on the Sabbath. Others said, but how can an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So even amongst the Pharisees, you can see there was some division, some questioning about what was happening. Then the Pharisees asked the question of the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? And he responded, I think he must be a prophet. So now you have the verification. The verification was the Pharisees were doing their job. They were checking out the legitimacy of this miracle. And one of the things they needed to verify was that this man truly had been born blind. So they called in the parents. Is this your son? Was he healed? Who did it? They were asking questions, trying to understand the circumstances. And the parents answered, yes, he is our son, and yes, he was born blind. But we don't know who did this. you notice in the passage, it talks about the fact that they were afraid. Afraid of what the Pharisees were doing, because you see, the Pharisees had made a declaration. If anybody supports Jesus' claim to be the Messiah, they'll be put out of the synagogue. And being put out of the synagogue in those days was paramount to being isolated in the community. Today, in our culture, if somebody is put out of a group, well, we have multiple other groups to join, right? But in that day, everything centered around these cultural groups, around the center of worship, and so it was a real threat to them. And so the uh, family said, we don't know, but he's old enough, you can ask him. So they come back and there's a clarification. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. And the guy goes, I don't know whether he's a sinner. He replied, I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. But what did he do? How did he heal you? And they're asking the question over and over again. And so he explains and he says, you know, I already told you this story. What is it with you guys? Do you really want to become followers of him? And, of course, they push back against that, right? They start to abuse him in a sense, calling him out. They cursed him and said, you are his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man came from, comes from. There was clarification that the Pharisees were looking for. But then there's the correction. And I like the fact that the correction came from the man himself. So that's very strange, he said. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. And ever since the world began, no one has ever been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he could not have done this. And of course you see the Pharisees' reaction. You are a total sinner. Get out of here. They tossed him out. And then you have Jesus re-entering the story. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man. Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe him. Believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped Jesus. And then he said, I entered into the world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying we're blind? Jesus responded, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, but you remain guilty because you claim to see. Interesting story, isn't it? <clears throat> Most of the stories the miracles are focused on Jesus, focused on his, the outcome. In this story, we have Jesus at the very beginning. Then you have a big section related just to the man and his interactions. And then you have Jesus showing up at the end. What is this about? Well, first of all, I want you to pay attention to the interactions of the man. If you go back through it in your reading, you'll find out an interesting thing. He starts off by, they asked them, who healed you? His neighbors asked. He said, well, there was this man named Jesus. He put mud in my eyes, told me to go wash. I did, I see. Then when he's talking to the Pharisees, it goes a little bit farther, and the Pharisees are having questions. They can't agree about who the, what's happening here. And so they turn to the man and say, well, what do you think about him? And the man says, well, I think you're, he's a prophet. And then they have more conversation, and in that conversation, there's clarification. We know that someone can't do this unless they worship God and obey him. And then Jesus reenters... And he asks a question. Do you want to believe in the Son of Man? Yes, I want to believe. And Jesus reveals himself and the man becomes a follower of Jesus. Remember I said at the beginning, it's not just the questions we ask that set the direction we grow, but it's the questions that we're asked that causes us to grow in a particular direction. <clears throat> and in my life, I've seen that happen. As I've been struggling and working through different aspects of my faith, I've entered into conversation with people. I can remember there was a group of people we met together on a regular basis late at night uh, to have study of the scriptures together. And it was a time when I was trying to work through what it meant to allow the Holy Spirit to work in my life and to understand how that might affect me in terms of my witness and as we were talking about those things I had all kinds of questions about the Holy Spirit and how he worked and how he would move in me and as I asked the questions people's response started to shape the way I was thinking because they brought in new perspectives on what the gospel was about. For you and I this is important You see, faith is not a solo event. Faith is something that is lived together with others. And it's in the context of being together that we come to have a fuller understanding of the gospel. There's the old uh, story about the blind guys describing an elephant, the six guys, you know, they're walking around the elephant. One guy touches a leg and says it feels like a tree. Another one feels like a fire hose. Another one says, man, it feels like a palm branch, a palm leaf. They're all touching a different part of the same animal, right? How big is God? Do you have a perspective on who God is that is complete? Or do you have just this little sliver of the area that God has touched you with? You see, that's why it's so important for us to connect with each other, to hear each other's stories, to understand how God is working, not just in my life, but in your life. Because how you respond to God and how he speaks to you opens up and broadens my perspective of God's working amongst us. And just like my questions about the Holy Spirit led me down a particular path, I have to tell you, That people's questions of me have led me down particular paths. Delaney shared a story about a young person who was asking profound questions in the last Kids Capers. You can bet every time he opened his mouth whoever was listening was cringing at the question because she said he asked good questions, hard questions. And every one of those questions put that person in a place to have to re-evaluate what they believe, how they were thinking. And so I want to encourage you, it's not just the questions you ask, it's the questions that are asked of you, that shape you. And with that in mind, you have a responsibility to ask each other the right questions. You can just, you the right questions that I have to ask sometimes are the questions are, is this the right question to understand this situation? But sometimes you have a question that you have as someone else that will push them to think in a new way. You see, that's the significance of the community of faith, that we build and strengthen, build each other up and strengthen each other. And this idea of being obedient, embracing what God calls you to, The mission stepping into being the light of the world remember I said at the beginning we have Christ in us we sang that Christ in me Christ in me hope of glory not just your glory it's the glory of the people around you and when you ask the right questions you open doors you open possibilities that God could intervene in the situation let's go right back to the beginning of the story the disciples are asking Jesus a question. This blind man over here, did his parents sin or did he sin? Jesus' attention is drawn to a very specific person. And now he is. encounters that person and God the Father whispers, I want to work in him. How do I know that? Because Jesus said over and over again, I only do what the Father shows me to do. I only say what the Father has taught me to say. And so in this situation, Jesus, was, his attention was drawn to a man born blind. And in that moment, the Father somehow communicated to Jesus, I want to touch him. And so Jesus said to the disciples, no, it's so that God's work can be shown in him. You see, there's a starting point, an initiating point. And that initiating point leads through to a person becoming a follower of Jesus. Not all the time, but often. Because the initiating point does something that captures their attention, turns their mind towards Jesus. We had a fellow speaking at our church when we were in Saskatoon, and uh, he made this comment, he said, made this comment in his service. He said, you know what, he says if you want to serve Jesus you only have to ask one question. It's a great question you can ask of anyone you want and it will open the door for God to work. You ready for the question? Can I pray for you? If there is a bottom-line question for reaching out and touching people's lives with the gospel, with the power of Jesus. It is that question. Very seldom in the course of my time using that question, only one person has told me not to pray for them. And that's because of their religious background. And they made it clear that I could pray for them, but not in their presence. Another story. But the reality is people's hearts are open. When there is a need in their lives and you hear them and then you ask, can I pray for you? The very fact that you can ask that question knowing that Jesus through you can minister to them in that moment in your prayer opens doors of possibilities. I remember one time I prayed, asked someone, can I pray for you? And as I'm praying, I'm praying for the specific need that they had, but I had a sense of God telling me to pray for something more. And so I prayed for the something more also. And it opened up their heart to God to work in new ways. And that's what happened in this story. That's why the story focuses on the man and his interactions with his neighbors and the Pharisees. Because it's a window into how the purposes of God start with this miracle over here, and end with a declaration of worship. Because you see, that man responded to the questions he was asked. Who was it? He was a man. What do you think of him? He was a prophet. He can't be uh, from God, he's a sinner. No, only someone who worships and obeys could do this sort of thing. You can see the progression as the questions and statements were made, as he reacted, he moved closer and closer to a fuller understanding of who Jesus was. And then when Jesus came and asked the question, he was ready to embrace it. And so I want to encourage you to step into asking the right question. As you listen to people uh, say, Lord, what is the question? And if you can't come up with a question, can I pray for you? You've had a number of testimonies from Derek over the course of time about how he walked in, he saw someone, he paid attention to him, noticed something and said, "Well, walk over and say, can I pray for you? It's a bottom line thing. And if God draws someone to your attention, I know you're going to hesitate. I wanted to say, don't hesitate. But the reality is we all hesitate. Really, Lord, you want me to do that now? In this moment? If you ask that question, Lord, do you want me to do it? And you're listening, you will hear a yes. And if you hear a yes, you don't have a choice. You will have to pray for them. You will have to touch base with them. So I want to encourage you to go out with a heart expectant that God will point out to you people that he wants you to touch. And when you talk with them, something will show up that allows you to ask a question that will turn their eyes towards Jesus. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that your word is active and living. It's like a double-edged sword that just comes and pierces right into the center of who we are, awakens in us a desire to serve you and to honor you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would guide us, that we would be open to serve you, that we would be the light of the world, allowing you to shine through us and leading people to a full understanding of who you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Hey, and welcome back. Thanks for listening to this Sunday's message. We hope that we've helped you in your spiritual journey and that you're drawing closer to God. At Crosspoint, we gather on Sundays at 10 a.m. in Northeast Edmonton. And throughout the week in something we love to call home groups. Home groups are encouraging and transformational communities for people just like you. We believe that the journey of faith is done together. So we hope that you'll connect with us at thecrosspointchurch.ca. Now, let me remind you of who you are. You are the people of God, called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are.